Welcome to the Wisdom Podcast. This is your host, Justin Dora. And for today's episode, I want to talk about lenses in which we view the Word of God and lenses ultimately in which we view life. And when I use that term lens, what I'm trying to say is a way of interpreting the Scripture or a way of interpreting life. How do we view the things that we see in the Bible and how do we view circumstances, people, Uh, opportunities that come our way in life. And so I want to start with the book of Matthew. I'm going to look at four different scriptures today, and hopefully we'll cast light on this idea, and hopefully it'll be encouraging. So here we go. Uh, We're going to look at uh, Matthew chapter 5, verse 8. It says this, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Let me read it one more time. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Now, I know we've heard this verse a million times, and I know for me, I've always just thought of it from the perspective of my heart being pure is what qualifies me to visibly see God. And I want to I want to offer a different lens uh, today. Uh, recently, I was thinking about this verse, and I, I really sense the Holy Spirit give me a unique angle on this verse that opened it up in a way I'd never thought about it before. Number one, we have to realize that the scripture tells us that Jesus gave us a new heart. Our old heart was corrupted. It was beyond repair. He didn't fix our old heart. He gave us a new one. So so number one, we have a new heart. We have a new mind. We have a new spirit. And, uh, and the book of Ezekiel says that he gave us his spirit that causes us to obey. And ultimately, I think that's the grace of God. Because grace causes us, it gives us the desire to want to do the things that are godly in life. So when I read this verse or was thinking about it, the the unique angle that came to my mind was, think of it this way. Blessed are the pure in heart, for in all that they look at, they see God. In other words, When we're looking at life, when we're looking at circumstances, when we're looking at people, what's the thing we're looking for? Are we looking for what's wrong with people and how to disqualify them? Or what's wrong in a circumstance and what justice button needs to get pushed? Or are we looking at what is God doing? What is our starting point? Are we seeing the golden people? Are we seeing the silver lining in a circumstance? Are we looking at something with great hope and going, I know it looks devastating, but at some, in some way, God is at work and he is going to turn this thing around for good. Now, in saying that, I'm not saying that there's not difficulties in the world. I'm not saying there's not problems. I'm not saying there's not things that we need to address and, and, and deal with. But I'm saying our, if our starting point is Look at what God is doing. I can promise you the end result will be congruent with the nature and character of God. If we're starting with what the enemy's doing, what the brokenness of man is doing, what some difficult circumstance means, then it may be difficult to get to an end result that has life on it. Even if it looks externally right, it may be devoid of life. That is the essence of religion. It looks right on the outside, but inside it's full of dead men's bones, as Jesus actually said in the book of Matthew. And so when we're talking about lenses, 
the, what we're talking about is how do we look at life? How do we look at the scriptures? Are we ultimately looking at the nature and character of God and how he is bringing about restoration in every aspect of life or in every passage of scripture? Or are we looking at life and the word through a sense of rejection, through a sense of unbelief, through a sense of unforgiveness? You know, it's it's fascinating to me how many people in the name of God do things that God would never do. How many people in the name of doing something holy actually violate holiness? When you reject someone in the name of how holy you are, you you have forgotten that the holiest person to ever live died on a cross for those who were unholy. He said before he was asked, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. That is the definition of holiness that we've got to be working from, is holiness means I will lay down my life that those who don't yet know his holiness can receive it with joy, can experience it. Because here's the truth, when people experience authentic holiness, it's attractive, it draws you, your heart is awakened in a fresh and new way. And so one scripture to keep in mind when it comes to the nature of God, is Second Corinthians chapter 5. I'm going to flip there real quick. Second Corinthians chapter 5 makes this statement. It says, If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So number one, God does the reconciling. We don't reconcile ourselves. That would be earning our salvation. That would be self-righteousness. The righteousness of God is a free gift that he gives without any strings attached. And you can't earn it. So he reconciled the world to himself, not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So again, this whole lens of blessed are the pure in heart for in all that they see, they will see God. So what is the nature of God? He is a God of reconciliation. He's a God that on the cross reconciled the world to himself. How? By not counting men's sins against them. Forgiving, wiping away. I love how uh, the book of John says that Jesus is the Lamb of God who came to take away the sin of the world. Not just to forgive it, though that it's included, but to literally remove it from the world. Now, if people choose to own it as if that's who they are, then they will continue to have the consequence of it, as we're about to see in the book of Romans. Let's go to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. Okay, so I, again, we're talking about lenses. We're talking about the way we interpret scripture. We're talking about the way we interpret life. So the pure purity of heart allows us, and we have a new heart that is pure by his doing, 
purity of heart allows us to see God in all that we see. He becomes the lens through which we view life. And we realize that his nature and character is not counting men's trespasses against them. It was reconciling the world to himself on the cross. And it was giving to us this ministry of reconciliation that we might go out into the world to proclaim, be reconciled to God. Which is good news. Okay, Romans 1. Now this is often a passage. So so this, I want to use this as an example to to reveal maybe what lens you might be reading scripture through. Because when I read this passage, it brings me great hope. It brings me great joy. It does not create fear. It does not create intimidation. So let's read the passage and then let's unpack it. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that men are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and in the foolishness of their hearts uh, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools. And exchanged the glory of the immortal God for the images made to look like mortal men and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore God gave them over to the sinful desires of their hearts, to sexual impurity, to degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped the serve created things rather than the Creator who is forever praised. Amen. Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lust, even their women exchanging natural relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed indecent acts with other men, and they received in themselves a due penalty for their perversion. Furthermore, since they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, He gave them over to a depraved mind to do what ought to be done. They have become Filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They in, uh, sorry, they are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They are senseless, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these very things, but they also approve of others who practice them. Okay, so I know the question you're asking, how in the world do you find encouragement from that chapter? (laughs) Let me point out a couple things. Number one, let's start at the top, verse 18, chapter 1, Romans. The wrath of God is being revealed. So the wrath of God, there's a revelation of God's wrath from heaven against all godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Okay, so stop right there. So it says that the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against godlessness and wickedness of men, not godless and wicked men. This verse, I believe, is saying that the cross is where God poured out his wrath, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. On the cross, Jesus became sin 
the wrath of God was poured out to destroy the governing entity of sin itself. That's what Romans 6 is about, Galatians 5. You could even say Galatians 2. You could say Colossians 2. There's lots of scriptures that unpack this being dead to sin, alive to God. 1 Corinthians 15. I could go on and on. So when I read this passage, what I see is that Paul is writing about the culmination of the love of God, which was the wrath of God, an extension of his love against everything that would block love from being received by man in the person of Jesus. And then, how does God discipline those who refuse to listen? It's not by rejecting them. It's not by hating them. It's not by sending them some bad experience in their life. What does the scripture say? It says that he gave them over to the very thing they thought they wanted. I find that that is how God disciplines us as believers. He gives us over to the thing that we think we want. Why? Not because he necessarily wants to harm us, but in the bigness of God, he realizes that the consequence of that wrong decision, the consequence of sin as an action, because remember, sin as a governing presence has been dealt with by Jesus. That doesn't mean you can't sin anymore. But if you do, God allows you to experience the consequence. Why? Because it's in that place that you come to the end of yourself and realize, I don't want this any longer. To be dead honest with you, a perfect biblical example, I believe, of this being lived out is... Luke 15, the prodigal son. This is the father giving the son what he says he wants, his inheritance, cash money. And the son goes and spends it in wild living. The scripture doesn't say, but we can only assume what that means. And what happens? He comes to the end of himself and he realizes, man, life in dad's house was way better than me living on my own. And what does he do? He comes back to the father. Now, here's what's crazy. In that community, if the father had rejected the son, that that rejection would have made its way to the son wherever he was because that word would have traveled fast and the son would have never darkened the door of his father's house again. But the fact that the son returns back to the village, let alone his father's house, is evidence that the father never rejects and cuts off the son. On top of that, in that community, there was a ceremony when a wayward son would come home where the villagers would come into the streets and they would throw pots on the ground and they would throw rocks at the boy in a way to publicly shame him for the shame he had brought on the entire community, not just his father's house, but literally the entire community. So when you read the story and you realize that the father is running to the son, what's the father saying? The father is saying everything that you have brought on this community, all the shame, all the the um, the guilt, all the negatives that you that your actions have brought, I will bear. I will bear your shame. I will bear, bear your pain. And the father running is the father saying, if you have a problem with my boy, you can take it up with me. 
And then on top of that, the fact that the father has a party, what's he doing? He's reconciling the son back to the entire community because in that context, that was needed that needed to take place because the son had, didn't just violate his father's household, but he violated the community that he was a part of. And so what does a father do? He not only bears the shame that the community would bring upon the, his son, but then he also brings the community in to reconcile them with the son, with the party to say, my son is home and he is alive again. See, this is the nature of God. And see, when your, when your lens is changed, to see all of life through the person of Jesus, then even these difficult scriptures begin to take on new life that you didn't see before. And it doesn't mean there's not um, difficult conversations that maybe needed to be had, or it doesn't mean there's not pain involved in the process when someone makes a poor decision, but it does mean God is always hoping for reconciliation, for redemption, for, for wedding relationships back together that are strained and stretched. Okay, one last scripture I want to look at. And this will be the one that may cause you the most uh, freak out here. <laughs> Matthew 18. Okay, this is a very common passage when we're talking about um, correcting people, correcting believers. I want to read this, verse 15. We're going to read uh, verse 15. Well, let's just go until... 17. If your brother sins against you, go and show him his fault, just between the two of you. If he listens to you, you have won your brother over. But if he will not listen, take one or two others, so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church, and if he refuses to listen to the church, treat him as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Okay. Number one. When we start in this passage, Jesus says this, if a brother sins against you. Number one, a brother is a sign of family. It's a sign of deep intimacy, and it's a sign of deep relationship. If a brother sins against you, not necessarily somebody else, but if he sins against you, go to him and show him his fault. It doesn't say go and show him his symptom, but that's what we do. We go show people the symptom of what they have, but we don't bring it all the way back to the fault line or the break in relationship or the break in their understanding or the break in their in their revelation of who God is actually start it and actually address the real issue. I'll, I'll say it this way. If all we ever do is deal with people's behaviors and we don't walk it all the way back to the way people think and what they believe, we won't walk it back to the fault that caused the lava to flow. I'm not saying behaviors don't matter, but they matter because they reveal an internal reality that is the source of the issue. And often what expresses itself and what the real issue is aren't even close. 
And if all we do is scrub the external, but we don't address the inside of people's hearts, then then we will have to amp up the motivation to keep them on the straight and narrow. But if we can walk it all the way back to what's really going on inside and address that, then people's behaviors actually will change. Their actions look different, and not just their actions, but their attitudes, their their language, their emotions, their relationships, they begin to change. They begin to shift, okay? So number one, it says to point people to the real issue, not just the symptom. And then it goes through this part where it's talking about if they refuse to listen, bring another. If they refuse to listen, bring it before the community. And if they refuse to listen again, then treat them as you would a pagan or tax collector. Now, think about this. How did Jesus treat pagans and tax collectors? Well, he called a tax collector to be a disciple. He went and ate with a tax collector in his home. Story of not Nicodemus. Cannot remember the guy's name to save my life right now. (laughs) You probably all remember it as you're listening to this right now. He goes and eats with a tax collector. He interacts with sinners. He has mercy on sinners. So the question is, if you read that passage and it gives you permission to reject people in the name of God, yet you violate the way Jesus himself lived, then maybe you're reading this passage through the wrong lens. Maybe this passage is about reconciling people to a God that they don't really know, helping them realize what this God has done on their behalf through Jesus and his life on the cross, and ultimately, if they reject it, to let them go in hopes that, like we see in Luke 15, they will come to the end of themselves and return back to the Father's house to realize that life with Dad is the best way to live. You see, when I read this passage, yes, there is something about talking straight to each other. There is something about pointing out where there is hurt and pain and where something negative has happened. But ultimately, even in the ultimate rejection of that place of correction, I see a sense of hope and redemption that I may not be able to relate as intimate as a brother because this person doesn't want to relate to me. But I can trust that the God of heaven can sweep them up into a fresh encounter with him that they might know beyond a shadow of a doubt that God is real and he is for them. And I don't read this passage through the lens of rejection language, but I actually read it through the lens of relate and connect with people that the religious spirit would say is worthy of punishment. But Jesus would say, it's for people like this, while you were yet sinners, Christ died for you. Zacchaeus, that's his name. (laughs) I knew I'd remember. I knew it. It was on the tip of my tongue. Zacchaeus, Jesus had a meal with Zacchaeus, and Zacchaeus 
was a man that most of the, the, the community was afraid of. And Jesus went to his home and said, salvation has found, salvation has come to your house today. It's amazing that God's like that. So hopefully today what we did is we, we challenged your lens. We challenged your perspective, your way of looking at life and the world and the word of God through the lens of Jesus and who he is and what he's like and what his life accomplished. And, and hopefully you heard that doesn't mean there's not consequences to choices. That doesn't mean that the wrath of God isn't real. That doesn't mean that there's not uh, pain uh, when we make poor choices. But ultimately, God is a God of reconciliation. And despite all of those things, this is what I believe Romans 8 is getting at. That God can work all things together for our good. That's his desire, is even the bad decisions, that he can work it for your good as we learn to trust him and let go of perspectives, let go of baggage. Baggage isn't something that's a part of you. Baggage is something you're carrying that we let go of. And then we feel light and free again. And hopefully your lens has been adjusted where you see people as God sees them and it causes your heart to be moved with compassion and to get into people's lives and not just stay on the outside judging people like the Pharisees did, but actually enter into their pain and see the kingdom of God expressed through love, joy, and forgiveness and a sense of righteousness because of what Jesus has done for all mankind. Father, thank you for fresh revelation. Thank you for showing us who you really are and what you've accomplished. And it's in Jesus' name that we ask for you to increase our revelation in this season. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Wisdom Podcast. If you liked what you heard, leave us a review on iTunes, and iTunes will suggest this podcast to others. Thanks, everyone, and take care.